Hey guys, it's Matt. Take out your phone right now and go to Skillshare.com slash create unknown. That'll get you two free months of Skillshare and your life will change. They have over 26,000 classes that can teach you anything from cinematography to accounting to animation. I use Skillshare whenever I need to learn something new or brush up on something old. It'll give you a massive advantage over people struggling with tutorials elsewhere. So just redeem your two free months at Skillshare.com slash create unknown and start searching for courses. And thanks again to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown. I'm Kevin, and with me as always is Matt. And Matt, we spoke with legendary YouTube animator Psychic Pebbles. And, you know, it was really fascinating to kind of hear him talk about his journey from being highly successful on YouTube, but how that doesn't really lead into success as a sustained animator on YouTube. No, when when Pebbles started talking about some of the numbers, I don't even know what to say about it because everybody thinks that if you have tons of subscribers on YouTube, you have views that are, let's say, you know, a million a video, which is really, really good. Uh, you've got to be making pretty good money on that. And Pebbles goes into some of those details that, again, I can't even describe it because I've never heard anything like it. Getting so many views for content that people really, really love and then revenue that would that would really surprise people. Yeah, yeah. He, he explicitly talks about one video that he made that got an absurd amount of views and he received a shockingly low <laughs> amount of AdSense dollars in return. Like to, to the point... Can can we tease that number somehow without saying it? Like, what could you buy with the amount of money that he got for 20 million views? <laughs> I don't, um, let's see. What what could... So he made this video that got over 20 million views. And in return, he basically got mm, like... He got 600 pounds of pork tenderloin at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so much more specific than I was thinking. I was trying to think of like an appliance. Like he got like a decent washing machine, (laughs) but you go straight into like specific meat metrics. Which is so is is how you think. <laughs> yeah, you should you should have one metric in your mind all the time that you process the entire world by. And mine is pork tenderloin. So when Pebbles is talking about this, <laughs> when, when Pebbles is going into these numbers, I'm like, okay, that'll that'll feed you for a year if if you're okay with pork tenderloin. But you know, when you get a number like 20 million views, you would think that's easily easily five figures. You know, everybody's numbers are a little bit different depending on where their audience is, how long the video is, meaning the types of ads that they can run. There are all these different things that make up the number. But I don't know, 20 million views, I would say somebody's going to get oh, 50,000 minimum. Well, uh, 600 pounds of pork costs less than $50,000. And Pebbles goes into why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So instead of being able to like go out to dinner and get fancy pork tenderloin <laughs> by, you know, Gordon Ramsay or something, instead he's at home like cooking it on his George Foreman grill. <laughs> and uh, that's just a small sample of what we get into. But ultimately, he really pulls the curtain back on just what the state of animation is online in general, not just on YouTube. And 
and how traditional media is really playing an important role in his life and in the lives of other online animators and and really kind of how that's going to play out over the next couple of decades. It's very interesting to hear him talk about that interplay between new media, YouTube, and some really traditional stuff. When we talk to Pebbles, it's so easy to see that he's amazing at two things, right? He does the animation, which is, uh, I don't know, there's really nobody like him who, who, who draws stuff as strange and incredible as he does, but he's also got the humor side. He's world-class at that too. So you've got this guy who is outrageously funny, really talented visually with the animation. He's putting these two things together and he's on a platform that almost punishes him for having two remarkable skill sets. So it's really interesting to hear him talk about what it's like building a life and a career with that combination. Yeah, yeah. And really kind of like where he sees it going in the future. So you're about to hear so much more from, I would say, one of the most creative and just deranged (laughs) people that we've had on the show yet. (laughs) And I mean that in absolutely the most wonderful and positive and, and I admire his derangement. And I think that you will too. But right now we're about to dive deep into the brain of Psychic Pebbles because you are about to enter... Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And with me right now is Psychic Pebbles. It's true. It is true. It's unfortunately true. Yes. We keep things very factual here. And Psychic Pebbles, you are a brilliantly talented and surreal artist who I've been a big fan of for a very long time. So it's my pleasure, really, to to speak with you today. Oh, shucks. Well, thank you. I've, I've appreciated your videos for a very long time, man. You make uh, good stuff. I always love when people try to educate the, the stupid, unwashed masses like myself. So uh, great job on that. And the other fellow, I don't know who you are, but I'm sure you make great stuff. Uh, I'll check <laughs> your stuff out afterwards. I'm just being blunt, man. I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie to people here. <laughs> no. And, now I want to make and, a claim that's really fantastic, right. though. Okay, okay, okay. Give me you give me your pitch of who you are in three seconds or less, two words or less. Two words or less? Two words or less. What are you all about, man? Vsauce two minion. Okay. I dig it. I like it. Yeah. If you had more words, excited. it'd be in a thong, but in a thong. <laughs> yeah. Crop top in a thong. Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like uh it's like socks and sailors. It works together. You can't you can't do it without the other. <laughs> I just couldn't believe when they put the minion in the thong. It. That was hot, dude. They gave it a juicy, like, realistically rendered ass. Some some monster, some creep. That whoever, You know what scares the hell out of me? Our justice system is so flawed. The, the fucking monster who rendered that is still walking the streets freely. The creep, the absolute creepy monster who rendered a minion's delicious ass is still walking the streets freely, making eye contact with people. He goes to the bank every day like us. He drives. <laughs> He operates a huge vehicle. That's scary to me. That shouldn't be allowed. How much did you get paid to do it? That's my that's my question. <laughs> the monster. Nothing. I did it. I did it for the thrill. For, for the thrill of getting away with it. You know when serial killers say they feel like God? It was like that. Knowing I, knowing I got away with that. <laughs> knowing that I put got to put that in, in a high budget movie and let millions of people in theaters see that. You know, it just got me a high. That's all I do it for is the high, man. It's of a, getting away with it. It'll be on your epitaph. Yeah, it'll ju- it'll just say million ass, million <laughs> ass guy. Like <laughs> <laughs> Can you have hate crimes in animation? Because that would qualify. 
That, oh, absolutely. Mm. In fact, I've, I've been running from the federal authorities for about six years now because of that little the little uh, ass scene. <laughs> I think they're after me. The FBI knocked at my door and I, I fled immediately. Well, <laughs> yeah. so aside from your legal troubles, you know, yeah. uh, I wanted to get into your YouTube channel, your your animation as a business on YouTube. There, there's a lot here that I'm really excited to talk to you about because I find animating on YouTube to be a really strange, fascinating, and largely unsupported in like a really sad way medium. Because, you know, back in the day, I feel like when, when you were cranking out stuff to begin with, and, and there, there was a bunch of others, it seemed like animation was blowing up in a way, like really creative, really surreal stuff that you could never get away with on television, uh, was getting millions and millions and millions of views. And then something changed where, whether it was, you know, the dreaded algorithm or whatever it was, watch time, you know, is, as how videos were started to being be judged rather than clicks or views. Uh, what are your thoughts on really being kind of at the forefront? Like uh, you're, you're, you are a forefather <laughs> of YouTube animation and, and where are you at now with all of that? Like, what has that journey been like? No, you're totally right, man. So, yeah, there was a period probably in, from very early YouTube uh, to about 2013 where, and I don't know exactly when it changed. I have no idea the exacts of it, but it was a little bit after that Reply Girl phase. I don't know if anybody remembers Reply Girls, but there was these there was this segment of YouTube that would literally, back when, below YouTube videos, they used to have repl- video replies. So if you watch one of the YouTube videos, the people in the videos would say, hey, reply to my video and then whatever. And below the video, you would see these replies. You could see other people's videos. And when this was still a thing, there was a section of YouTubers that would respond to this. And But their whole thing was they would respond to every video possible. So they were abusing the system to get views from themselves. And a lot of these people were females uh, of the female persuasion. And they had their uh, big, ju- you know, juicy uh, whatchamacallums out. And uh, so, so that was how they got clicks. And, but, but they abused, they, like, abused the system and they totally, uh, they, they broke it. And so YouTube removed that. And I think somewhere when they did that, they, which, by the way, I'm at the fault of a little bit because I was one of the guys pushing against them. So whatever. But so technically, it's, it's very possible that I'm like 1% responsible for my own demise. Oops. <laughs> but when they fixed that, for some reason, they broke something else in YouTube fashion where they, they fix this, they, you know, they 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 move a pixel to the left of the website. You're like, oh, it's better. And then they fucking break everything else. I talk about biting the hand that feeds you, I'm, I'm aware. But but <laughs> somewhere in there, they, yeah, they changed the, uh, they, they started favoring watch time instead of views. And so what that meant was that not only gutted animation, but they gutted uh, a lot of musicians, a lot of people that did review stuff. Like even what you do, man, you didn't get a hit like as bad as with the guys, but any kind, any type of content that's that's required, any kind of creative, you know, editing or acting or special effects, animation, game, anything, any kind of really creative endeavors took a hit because you you could spend a month or two on a video editing, doing all this work. And if your video is two minutes long, get a million views, you still weren't going to get paid as much as somebody who is churning out, you know, 15 minute videos every day for a yeah, month. And it's still, it's still like that. Uh, I mean, that is really what the landscape is right like now that, yeah. is, you know, you have to hit that 10 minute mark so that you can get the mid roll and the end roll. And if you put out five videos a, a week that get, you know, 50,000 views, that's way, the, the, the cumulative effect of that is a lot more beneficial. Uh, uh, benefits the creator, you know, monetarily 
way more than you spending three months on some beautifully animated project that's a minute and a half long. Absolutely. Well, I'll give I'll give you a real. I'll be totally transparent. I did a video called "Get Out of My Car," and the video got like twenty million views in about a year. And I'm saying that for context, by the way. So if I had done that video in 2012 and I got that many views as quick as I did, you probably would have basically, at least you would have made maybe 40 grand. If you're going based off like $2 CPM, I made about $1,000 off that. Now, I'm not bitching, but like, come on, man. And the reason that bothers me is because, and I look, if I don't get paid, I don't get paid, whatever. But it's the juxtaposition of that next to the fact that I know for a fact if you... Again, if you chill out a bunch of, uh, you know, 90 parts of a Let's Play, I don't care if, that, if that's what you do as a medium, but that is, is way more rewarded and favored. You know, a bunch of, a bunch of 10-minute videos churned out over – by the way, they're getting 50,000 views. Nobody's watching them. That gets paid more than, than somebody getting 20 million views. You think, that, you think YouTube would favor a system where people are getting a bunch of view, eyeballs to your website, to videos, but no – so it, it's not even – look, if everybody had taken a hit and the whole website had sort of crumbled, I'd be a little bit less bitter about it. But it's the fact that they, they, they're they they're heavily subsidizing, for lack of a better word, term. They're, they're sort of heavily favoring a certain type of content. And I get it. You know, They're a business. They can do what they want to. It's not – you know, I'm, I'm not entitled to any sort of compensation. They could pay me nothing if they wanted to. But right. it's the sort of juxtaposition and and what they're favoring. That sort of it, it disappoints me more than anything, because I know because you know in my opinion, 2006 up until 2013, YouTube I think spawned some of the most creative stuff that I've ever seen. Yeah, and there are still people out there that are making that stuff. You know, not for payment to, to make it because they like to make it, and I fit in that camp too. I didn't make that get out of my car video because I wanted to make a lot of money off of it. I made it because I wanted to make it. Uh, but yeah, it, it's disappointing. I think, I think even just if they tilted the, the scales back a little bit more, to, not even fully back to what it was, but a little bit more in favor of views over total watch time, I think you would see a big uh, spark, a big, a big uptick in people making really creative stuff like animation. Because animation, by the way, is a lot different to even live action, even creative live action. Uh, you know where. You know, you, you can shoot a video on your iPhone pretty quickly. There's no there's no real shorthand equivalent for animation. I mean, you sort of have a version of that with the story type uh, people. And I respect them. Like, that's a great media. But for full animation, if you want to be an animator, there's no real equivalent to that. Uh, so getting paid was a way to sort of make up that gap, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sort of went away. And it's... Uh, it's disappointing again. There's a parallel, a real strong one, with with things like like Vsauce Two, and the channels that take a tremendous amount of of time to make a video because it, you know it's not animation, but it's research. It's making sure that you get uh, get some subject exactly right. It's hundreds of hours can go into a video very 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 easily, and the system that that you're talking about uh, disincentivizes. The really hard stuff, whether it's animation uh, that's extremely time-consuming or a research-based informational thing that's extremely time-consuming, you you you've got to have the resources to do that. You have to have some kind of reward for that investment of time, and the system is certainly imbalanced. Uh, as you're saying, it's tough to know 
whether uh, adding some more value on views should be the payoff or or what it is. But there's definitely a situation where the hardest stuff to do, the most intensive stuff is rewarded the least. You know, if, <laughs> right. if you wanted to make yep. a video about why, like, Ariana Grande's outfit sucked, <laughs> you could sit down and pound out 12 minutes on that. In, in, in 12 minutes, it would in take you yeah, exactly the amount of time to talk about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. You do that, you upload it an hour later, yeah. you know, you've got that 50,000 views, whatever it is. And I'm making more than the 600 hours that, that Kevin puts into uh, some, some math video, right? That, that's, that's crazy. And it's not like we should automatically reward people for putting time in, but still. Well, and by the way, what bothers me about that too is not even, look, if it was, if it, even if it was something as simple as, you know, you get 50,000 views and I get 50,000 views and you get paid a little bit more, that's different. I'm talking about if you get a mil- like a million views, you're, mm-hmm. you're in a lot of cases getting paid less from that one video than a guy pumping out five videos of 50,000 views that are 10 minutes long. That's what bothers me. It's like, it's so, it's so heavily in one direction. There's actually not, much reason why you even it's 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 decentivizing it makes you go okay let me get this straight I have to put like you know exactly six hundred how many how many hundreds of hours into something and not only do I even if I get a lot of views even if I overcome the hump of like low CPM even if I get like five million views I'm not going to get paid a fraction of what the other guy's going to get paid so it's <laughs> like again to me you know their YouTube they can run their business how they want to make run it that's fine with me. It's just the fact that it's so heavily skewed in one direction that it, it it floods your system. And by the way, YouTube still has to pay to host every single video they upload. So you would think they would actually incentivize people to, to make more creative, shorter form stuff. Every video that is up on the website, they're, they're paying to host. So you would think it would be counterintuitive, but I don't know. I guess I'm not in that room. I don't really know. There's got to be some sort of logic behind it, but I again – like you said, if you make a 12 minute long video and it takes 12 minutes to record it, that's, that's all the hours you put into it or you know time you put into it. Why would you ever do anything besides that? Even if you have passion, it's literally, you're not going to get paid as much. You're, it's a net negative. Yeah. You're losing time. You're losing money. You're losing sleep. Like, dude, the amount of all-nighters I pulled for that get out of my car video, just as an example, was incredible. It was like, wake up. I'm doing that right now with the project I'm working on right now. Like, wake up, work, uh, sleep. Like, eat, that's it. That's it. And again, I do it because I like to do it. I'm not doing it for the money. I never have. I have told people, by the way, if you want to go into animation and you're doing it for the money, go be a lawyer. Go be a doctor. <laughs> do not do it for the money. It ain't going to happen. But if you like it, that's fine. But again, what bothers me is it's it, it's so heavily in one direction. That's what, that's what irritates me a little bit. But why, uh, you know, just to, to drill into the 20 million views, but only a thousand dollars. How is that even possible? Because like, I know how AdSense works. So like, what was going on? You must've, your, your CPM must've been a penny. Garbage. I don't know. What's really weird too is I did, so I do streams, I do live streams every once in a while and those get fine money. Those get those. So my actual CPM seems to fluctuate. And I looked at the fill rate and people were watching the video completely, but the problem was it was a minute long. So I think that's what I think that's what did me in, and I think there was swearing in it, but like still, like it was monetized, it wasn't totally demonetized. But you think that would take a, a again a piece out of it, but not like that much. And again, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I got paid something for a video that I put out, but still, it, again, it's it's more the juxtaposition for me. It's like that in a vacuum is whatever. I just you got to deal with it. But that it, compared to yeah, a guy making like. Minecraft part 985 gets gets 50,000 views and gets, you know, 
probably the same amount of money on that. It's like, okay, fine. Like, okay, I guess that's how it works now. I'll deal with it. What are you going to do? So the moral of this story is just stop trying. Yes. Don't be, don't be creative. Don't go to college. Just pump out videos uh, on mass, just like thousands per month and you'll do great. Yeah. That's the moral. Somebody asked me how they, how they could make pretty much make a buck doing videos in the style of what a Vsauce does, where it's like a deep dive on a topic. Right. I'm like, well, step one is you fly to, you know, Burma and get a job in a sweatshop sewing soccer balls. Because that's where your real hourly money is going to come from, you know, more so than. Oh, like the actual hourly wage. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's an no. hour you get. Yeah, it's way below for minimum wage. <laughs> that's the funny thing. That's such a funny thing. I was in a, an Uber recently and and I told, you know, he, the guy, what do you do? I went, well, I'm a YouTuber. And he was like, whoa, you must be a gabillionaire. And I'm like, yeah. well, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not a gabillionaire. That's why uh, Uber, whatever it was, the, the plain one instead of Uber Black. <laughs> yeah, Uber, yeah, 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 Uber yeah. X. Uber X, yeah. But there is that mentality, I guess, among people where all, of they, all they read about is like, this YouTuber makes $15 million a year. And it's like, yeah, yeah. PewDiePie does. The seven-year-old opened a toy and $9 million fell out. Dude, that, no, uh, like, uh, right. I think, I think the top early YouTuber is a toy is a thing for yeah. little kids. Dude, Ryan's, those like wheels of the bus yeah. videos get like, I'm not exaggerating a billion, 1 billion views, not a million, yeah. billion views. There's, yeah. they, but what they do, they're smart. These motherfuckers are smart. What they do is they make a bunch of videos over like a month or two, and then they combine them all, and they call they call the title something weird, like kids cho- kids kids animation fun time, haha. And it's like an hour long, and it's stuff they've already made. But what happens is, I, I realize what happens. The reason these guys get paid so well, like the both both anything for kid, like young young like toddlers and babies, is because the parents <laughs> can put an iPad on and they 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 watch. All the ads. The kids are too stupid. They don't know how to close out of it. They're like one-year-olds. So that means every ad on all those videos is getting a 100% fill rate. Every ad's being watched. All like the pre-roll ads that are like 10 minutes long. Those Toyota ads of like trucks jumping through mud. <laughs> the little babies are watching all of those all the way through. So these, these people are making like... $30 million a year from this. It's ridiculous. And dude. Toyota's getting a great return on that yeah, investment. Yeah. Having infants watch their yeah, yeah, all those mud, babies are mud really, driving really, uh, truck to buy Toyota. <laughs> I just want to point out that we're starting to build a formula for success on this platform. So far, we have step one, don't try. Yep. Okay. Step two, cater to babies. Yeah. Right. Step, yeah, step one, don't put any effort in. Step two, uh, put, put, put your videos in front of babies so they can watch them. They can watch little 3D characters dance around. You're right, though, that those little kid weird animation things do get hundreds of millions and sometimes a billion views where all they do is they take a nursery rhyme. Yep. So they'll take like Baba Black Sheep or or the wheels on the bus and then they just crudely animate it, probably pay someone next to nothing to do that. And then, yeah, like mom puts that on for for the toddler to watch over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, they, they want to babysit them. It's probably the same sweatshop where they're sewing the soccer balls with one hand and animating with the, the other hand. I, do, I and, think those are, a lot of those are actually made in India. It's not even a joke. I think it's just, they just <laughs> they're outsourced because a lot of the voice actors, if you hear them, they're like, they're talking through like a shitty microphone. 
And I'm going like, okay, like, I don't think the person who even recorded this or animated this even knows what this is for. And they definitely don't know how much the people are getting paid to do it. They could be going like Fiverr or something. I don't know, but it's definitely being outsourced. Well, and there, it, was a, there was a thing recently where, so you know this new, new-ish trend where stories are being animated? Um, where like a viewer submits their story and then it gets animated. And these videos get millions of views. There was a YouTuber who kind of exposed one of these channels that kept showing up on trending as being this Russian animation factory that was stealing stories from Reddit and just animating them and getting millions of views for it. Uh, I believe it, dude. Uh, I This is a little off topic, but I, 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 I have found over the years a bunch of channels that just trace my art and put it in their thumbnail. They're the thumbnails. And it's just like, what What the hell? The, the, a lot A lot of the guy. I've, I've been on YouTube since uh, 2010 or so. So I've seen a lot of channels completely rise really quickly and fall really quickly. The good news is whenever those, the, the people that do steal stuff like that, they tend to fall as quickly as they rise. Mm-hmm. That's the only silver lining that I've seen is the people that you're like, how the hell is anybody watching this? In the, in the sense of like this person's stealing stuff, they're they're clearly like not putting effort into anything. But luckily, they tend to collapse as quickly as they rise. So that's the one, you know, positive of that is is these guys that that steal stuff and are, are dishonest and stuff. They tend to go away as quickly as they come. Yeah, and it seems like platforms. I'm thinking of Facebook in particular right now, where uh, often these platforms will adjust their algorithms to kind of get rid of that trashy stuff. I know that that Facebook went through that. I think it was last year ish. Maybe it was the year before where everybody's Facebook feed was just flooded with this, these total factory farm, click farm, like clickbait things. And, and they did something where you never almost uh, ever see that. I don't know how many people even use Facebook anymore. Uh, that, that aren't boomers, but uh, <laughs> I, I check it every like once every week and I scroll down and I see somebody getting mad about politics and I go, all right, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pr- pretty much what it is. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like your angry aunt that you haven't talked to in two years, uh, yelling about GMOs or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's on both sides. I'm literally just saying that literally I go, I, I, I scroll down, I'll see a post on one pissed off side I'll scroll that and see a completely different post I'm just like alright this is giving me heart palpitations I just need to I can't look at this it's giving me anxiety it's making me furious I can't look at this arguing about vaccines and <laughs> yeah yeah it's like alright good luck Godspeed I don't right. care do what you want to do <laughs> not for me no but the, the Facebook thing yeah you're right they, they changed the algorithm it was I think it was a lot of uh, picture oriented stuff and what these people did to, for, I don't know if they're still doing it but to get around it people that are uploading MP4s of, of JPEGs. Yeah. Like yeah, video, they did that. video was, files yeah. of like moving like shitty memes. So to get around it, I think they started banning those too, but that's how they got around the algorithm for a little bit was to do that. Yeah. It's so crazy. These, these people always try to adapt, but again, it, luckily, luckily they tend to be weeded out usually. Yeah. The moral of the story is they rise and they fall. Yeah. But going back a little bit to, you know, where you're at now, it's the, this conversation has been like jokingly cynical, and and and, and so in some ways seriously cynical, but at the same time, I think that we can glean a little bit from your story and and you know your your other friends' stories who have done animations. Where you know, are we at a point where 
YouTube is like a portfolio to get your work out or to develop your style. And then you're able to get work elsewhere because I know that you've been able to get work elsewhere. Uh, your friend, Michael Cusack, he worked on that amazing Rick and Morty, yeah. uh, Australian thing for adult swim. So there are success stories to be pulled from kind of YouTube's failure to support animators. It's, it's a weird animation's a weird one. Like I said, because there's no, there's not even what, even what YouTube was doing really well, there, there wasn't really an equivalent, a, a shorthand version of like getting something out quickly. So I, we're in a weird spot right now where TV and traditional media, I think for animation specifically, is maybe the last real sort of creative medium where, yeah, right now you do have to go to traditional stuff, whether it's, uh, in my opinion, I think if you want to do long form stuff, because that's another thing too, is a lot of animators I know, you know, you make enough stuff and it's like you make enough two minute long videos. You spend, you know, months and months and months making two minute long videos and you get tired of it after a while. You just sort of want to tell 20 minute long stories or hour long stories. And unfortunately, well, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but it's the way it is. But right now, the way it is, is you can't really do that self-funded. Like the only way you can really do that is by going to Kickstarter or something. But there's a lot of, I can see why a lot of people are scared of that or don't want to do that. So right now, as it stands, the only way, I, as far as I really know, the most feasible way to do long-form stuff as, as an animator is to go pitch a TV show or go and get a movie deal or something. And, you know, old media, especially for animation, I think, has definitely not merged at all with, with the internet. I think that'll be different in about 10 to 15 to 20 years. You're seeing stuff being now made sort of a little bit more for the internet, like with the intent of that, like Bushworld, actually, I think, Brad Bushworld Adventures by Michael, that sort of uh, quick paced, like rewatchability factor is going to be a lot more common, I think, in animation where, you know, if you, if you watch a lot of the, 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 the animations that were created in the sort of, if you want to call it the golden era of YouTube with in terms of animation, where a lot of people are putting out a lot of different animated stuff, a lot of those are really short and, and quick and rewatchable. You can rewatch a lot because a lot of stuff is happening. It's moving really fast. I think animation is going to become a lot more adaptable, even in TV, to fit that. So it's going to become a lot more catered to streaming and with the intent of people rewatching it a lot. Um, but yeah, it's right now the only way to really to do to, to find long term stuff is is through TV and film. And I don't know if that's going to change in the short term. I know for a fact it'll probably change within again ten to fifteen to twenty years. But right now. It's, there's still a big gap between the internet and what you can do with that and, and with TV and everything, specifically with animation. And do you think it'll change because these traditional media companies will fund more internet-y type animation? Like, where do you think that that money is going to come from? I think it'll come from advertisers still. You're seeing a little bit of it. Like right now, Adult Swim does this thing called uh, Adult Swim Smalls or Adult Swim Shorts or something. I forget what it's called. But there are these little two-minute things that they're funding. And I think the future of animation in terms of TV will become something like that. I think when TV, when cable fuses with streaming, fuses with YouTube, I think that'll start to be when they, when they, when they do a good version of it. But right now... People still have TVs. People still watch stuff on streaming. So, yeah, the, the gap is still there. When when TV really really blends together with the internet, I think it'll change. Until that happens, I don't think it's going to change. Mm -hmm. And how hard is it to get? I mean, it seems to, like getting an animated show sold 
is near impossible because of how expensive it is. And it seems like once, like Cartoon Network, say, gets a show that is popular, then they're just going to milk that because they have to until that, you know, that thing is dry. And instead of constantly trying out new shows, as opposed to like, I don't know, like sitcoms or these like lawyer shows and like firefighter detective 12 or like whatever it is on like Fox or CBS, like those shows are a dime a dozen, but like new animations, new cartoons seem rare. Well, what what I realized, it took me a long time to realize I used to think, and I think a lot of people still think like this because it's your, it's people's assumptions. I used to think how TV shows got made, especially animated ones, was you walk in, you go, here's my great idea. They say, well, that is a great idea. Guy off the street, you know, have a show. What I've realized (laughs) is, what I've realized is, especially with animation, 99% of the show, let's say a majority of the shows that that get picked up are from people that have just worked in the industry long enough. And I don't say that cynically. There's a lot of good shows being made by people who worked in the industry. But let me say it like this. If you've ever watched an animated show or turned on something animated, you've gone, how the fuck is this on TV? Who greenlit this? It is almost definitely literally because that guy or girl or whoever worked in the industry for 30 or 40 years and they just got their, they just got a chance eventually. But the notion that somebody from YouTube, let me put it like this. You know, you, if you and I can sit here and the three of us could name for 30 minutes, a bunch of shows from YouTubers that have gone into TV and film. You can name all these YouTubers. Oh, yeah, you know, Fred and the Annoying Orange and all these people. We're live action translated very well or like sort of mixed medium translated immediately to TV. I can't name any YouTubers who have got – any YouTube animators who have gotten their own shows. And if there are some, they're very small guys. They're not very big. They're sort of weird, more indie people and they've almost definitely worked in the industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that bridge has not even been made yet. So, like, the idea of, like, a lot of the guys that were really big, you know, again, on YouTube or Newgrounds, I, I would say very few. I don't think – I can't name any of them who have gotten their own TV shows and worked in TV. Uh, and the ones, again, the ones that do have their own TV shows, it's because they worked traditionally. They worked, they were board artists or something. So that is not even really a thing yet. I think once that starts happening more, I think once people from YouTube, once animators start having their TV shows and doing movies, I think that – stigma for lack of a better term will sort of wash away but right now there's no equivalent to that like it's not a, it's not a proven formula yet it's not a proven success right now most of the shows that happen are uh, one of the worst ways this is what bothers me really badly is a lot of animated shows i feel like also are just are actors or uh comedians and i say this with all due respect you know i like a lot of these people that have these things but it's a lot, it's actors or comedians or musicians and their agents go, hey, you should do an animated show. They're really easy to do. You know, I've heard actors talk about animation. They go, oh yeah, you go in the booth with a, with a baseball cap and you record it and you fucking get out. <laughs> it's like, no, dude. Uh, so it's made, animation right now, I feel like is do- not totally made by, but it's dominated by people who don't really care about animation as a medium. Who don't really give a shit about it. They don't really, they, don't, they either don't know better or don't care about it. Mm-hmm. So they just go, whatever, I'll do an animated show. That's easy. And they, they hire the people to to write it and to direct it and do everything for it. But if I were to ask you guys right now, name, like off the top of your head, quickly, without thinking, name the, like the, 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 the most well-known animated shows of all time, especially for adult animation. It's like Beavis and Butthead, South Park, Family Guy, The Simpsons, 
every single one of these long-lasting shows, if you can, you can go on other ones too, SpongeBob, Rockwell's Modern Life, all these shows that have stood the test of time, every single one of them have been animator and artist-driven. In other words, it's made by an artist and animator, and there's a centralized vision. I feel like that has not gone away, but I feel like whenever that's given a chance, it almost always does well. And when it fails, it at least fails with a vision. And I can, I can always respect that. At least when I watch something that's made by somebody, I can say, okay, you know what? wasn't for me, and it failed, and it got, nobody watched it, but at least they really had a centralized vision, and they cared about what they were doing, rather than these sort of, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm being cynical. I think the people that are making these, some of these shows are cynical. What are some of the shows that fall into the category of just being kind of this, I don't know how you would describe it, this manufactured corporate, oh, this is an easy thing to do. I we'll just because I, okay. live in, I, I live in Burbank and I'm sure okay. with these fucking people. I, okay. I used to not be like this, but I, was, you know, I, don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I used to be like, oh, I hate this show. And then I come here and I go, and they go, oh, I work on this show. I go, ooh, whoops, I think I should talk to a show once. So okay. let, me, let, me just, let, me, let me just put it like this. Go on Wikipedia and type in currently running adult anime. It's a lot of the adult animated stuff, really. Because Cartoon Network is pretty good with the, with being creator-driven. Um just just look up, like, a lot of this stuff made for adults, and a lot of this stuff made for adults, by the way, is very patronizing. It's like, yeah, let's make a show where it's like people smoke drugs and get drunk and have sex. Who cares? Right. Who cares? It, it's not interesting. You were doing a cartoon. You can do anything. You can tell any story. I, I Like, I, I think the best animated stuff ever made, in my opinion, TV-wise, like, you know, old South Park. I think it's, new South Park is good, too, but I mean, like, classic season, like, three through eight South Park is... Even when it was crude, and even when it was like political or satirical, it's not what made it good. There's a real charm there. It's because Matt Stone and Trey Parker have been making the show consistent. Even if you hate South Park and think it's bad, you've always hated it. You have to at least admire the fact that they are some of the only guys ever, ever, in adult animated TV that hung around and they write, direct, and voice every mm-hmm. episode. Every single one. Yeah, I heard, gosh, uh, there, was, there was some interview or a podcast I listened to where... A, a comedian had been hired to write for South Park and it didn't last very long because he said uh, essentially that if you're a writer on South Park, what that means, and, and, and I'm sure you know way more about this than I do, so I'm interested to hear your perspective on it, but he said that if you're a writer on South Park, that means you just kind of hang out with Trey Parker as he writes the show and occasionally you can you know, laugh at some of the stuff that he says or <laughs> give like a little bit of feedback. But for the most part, like being a writer on South Park is just somebody for Trey Parker to like eat pizza with while he writes the show. Yeah. As far as I, there's actually a great documentary. I think it's called Six Days Tale, Five Days Tale. It's five. It's either Five Days Tale or Six Days Tale. I think it's Six Days Tale. But it's a documentary. It shows how they do an episode. They literally start on... They, you know, they put the episodes out on Wednesdays and they start on Thursday. And by the next Wednesday, they have a whole new episode, totally from scratch, completely from scratch. It's a great documentary, but they get stressed out. And yeah, it's basically just a bunch of guys in a room and a couple of girls there just sort of spit all the ideas. And Trey Park goes away and writes the script. But mm-hmm. there's not any other show that I can think of, not even like, you know, Mike Judge or, or Seth McFarlane or uh, Matt Grady. Like even those guys who are super hands-on and really creatively driven, they're artists and they had a vision. Even those guys... Uh, are pretty hands off. They let other people write the scripts, but so what I've always worried about those guys, Matt and Trey, is that they they've made every episode themselves, for for better or for worse. The ones that are not that great, they they can still say they made it. 
And I think there's something really admirable about that. The neat thing about what you're describing here is that when you think, how can, how can you exercise that level of involvement and not necessarily control, but, but really having the vision and then executing that vision, what's a better place to do it than on something like your own YouTube channel? where it is just you. You can absolutely pull off what you described as the most successful uh, model for a long-term thing, having an appeal that sticks around like any of those classic shows you mentioned. You really could develop a vision and flesh that out however you wanted without any real interference. Well, I think I think that's absolutely true. I think, in my opinion, I think the best YouTube channels are the ones where even if you have a lot of people working with you, because that's you're going to have that no matter what. Even I've had people, you know, I have to get voice actors sometimes. I have to get background artists. I have to get animators. So you're never going to be, you know, I think some artists romanticize, like, I did everything myself. Okay, let's not, don't brag about that. Who cares? Like, <laughs> hey, if you want to do it, that's fine. But I, I don't think that that should be, being purist in that way is weird to me. Like, there's no shame in hiring the people. In fact, I think it helps you grow as a person, grow as an artist, especially because, you know, I, I feel so. I feel both ways. Like, number one, I feel you should definitely be hands on. I feel like you should, you should definitely be. I feel like the best projects are always ones with really creatively driven people, sort of letting their vision permeate every aspect of it. So their, their vision is in the script, it's in the editing, it's in everywhere. Even if other people do it, that vision is there. Uh, I also feel, though, that. Anybody can make anything by themselves. That's not a challenge. What's a challenge is having your vision and working with other people and, and getting them to come along with your idea while they also bring their own like flavor to the table. Mm-hmm. That to me is the best, best of both worlds. And I actually think like even if you go back to TV, like back to South Park, I think like or or, or any of these animated shows, I think some of these artists um, who are, you know, you have some people that make great stuff and when they're let you know they're let totally on their own actually their stuff gets a little bit worse because sometimes people are better i think they can be better if they have the network or you know s&p or the legal team saying you can't do that i'll give you an example like uh episode of south park where they had tom cruise in the closet that episode started off with him being flamboyantly gay and the legal team said you can't that's illegal you can't do that and they said okay like even if you don't like that episode i think it's a way funnier angle that they took where he's literally in the closet, the whole like in an actual physical closet. So, and there's 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 a lot of those examples through game making, through movies, through TV, uh, and you get a little bit of that challenge. I think artificially, you can you can put that challenge with you or on top of you on YouTube by having other people on your team, by having maybe you have advertisers or a sponsor. So, I actually like sometimes when you know I have a creative. Hurdle because my, my and I'm, uh, you know, who cares what I think? But my, in my opinion, for me, my my motto to myself has always been: if I get a challenge, to, a creative challenge tossed to me, and I can't do it, I always say like, well, then I shouldn't be doing this at all. Then, like, what, what am I doing anything for? And I say the same thing about like, you know, I I I did a show called Hellbenders. I did a little web series called Hellbenders a couple of years ago, and like, you know. It, Ending something like that and putting it aside and starting something new, continuing to move on, it's not easy, but you have to go, okay, if that was really my peak, if that was really my best idea, I shouldn't really be making anything. If I only have one good idea, then what the hell am I doing? And so I, I sort of use that to motivate me where it's like, it, it's not easy to throw something away or move on or, or again, even if you're sticking with the same project, it's not easy to 
say, I'm not going to change that idea. You know, I, I think, but, but I think to sort of tell yourself, well, if I can't make it better, then what am I doing anything for? And That's I think a lot of the time, there's lots of things I'll say, I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I think, in my opinion, I think a lot of the time, some of the best stuff in TV and film and games and YouTube and everything, music, everything has come from creative challenges. Oh, we can't do that. What else can we do then? So I would say if you can do it, if you're doing YouTube, I, in my opinion, I think you should definitely collaborate. And I think you should definitely embrace any creative hurdles you have. Embrace those. Use those opportunities to say, you know what? Not only am I going to listen to what this creative challenge, am I going to accept this creative challenge? I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make this project better than what it was before I got this challenge in the first place. I think that's a constructive way to sort of deal with those things. If you view it like that, you'll always get something good out of it, I think. That part that you said that it's not necessarily a bad thing to stop a project and do something else. Uh, that's, that's a topic that we've talked about a lot in different contexts over the last few years. And after talking to people through season one, like some version of this comes up quite a lot on how necessary it is to wrap up one idea, use what you've, you've gotten out of that to drive another new idea that's, that's probably going to be a lot better uh, in, in embracing how healthy that is to pull the plug, to, to step on the oxygen hose and, and let the project expire. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, it can do, be do you scary, want to tell the police something? Look into the camera yeah. and tell us what you did in 2016. <laughs> we, know, we know it was not an accident. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I agree totally with that. It was when you were talking about like um, creativity flourishing within restriction. I had a million years ago, I tried to get an internship at Adult Swim. So this was probably like 13 years ago. This was a while ago. Oh, wow. And what I did was I kind of stalked people that worked at Adult Swim and found their contact information and just like emailed a couple of them and then got my way to a phone call, to a phone interview for this internship. And when I, when I, when I had the interview, that was exactly what I said I loved about Adult Swim. I said, you know, the fact that Adult Swim clearly does not have an endless budget to be making this programming is what I find fascinating because of the creativity that comes out of that. You know, if you just have a, a Scrooge McDuck pool of gold coins to use to, to make some animation, then yeah, maybe it'll be amazing, but maybe it's, it's too much. And maybe that the, the only having, you know, five grand or whatever it is to make something so that you have to like repurpose old C-Lab, uh, you know, animations make something that's way more different anyway long story short i did yeah, not get the yeah, internship yeah. so they loved my answer but just uh were creeped out i think that i kind of stalked them <laughs> well into... i will say i will say adults was one of the only networks that i know of that is very open to just talking to anybody like literally they do uh walter Newman and cam tag the, the development heads at adult swim in, out here in california they literally, I think once every, once every once in a while, they do these live streams where they literally just let people call in. They put a phone number out there. They say, call and picture idea to us. And they've always been like that. They've always been very open door. They'll talk to anybody, let anybody come in. What's your idea? And as far as, like, every, I think every other network, as far as I know, especially like Netflix and Comedy Central, all these other places, who I respect greatly, you have to have an agent. You have to have a, a guy go in and talk and say, hey, I'm with this agency. But it's also, you can literally just be a guy and, and get a show. 
And I think that's the only network that I know of right now, at least currently, that, that that's true for. So I respect Adult Swim a lot in that way. They do very little bunch of stuff, but the 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 plus side of it is they'll talk to anybody, they'll hear anybody out. They're not they're not discriminatory based on like, oh, you know an agent? Oh, you're not you can't pitch an idea to us. They just they just want good ideas. Yeah, they seem to be like when I said earlier that it doesn't seem like you see new crops of animated shows coming up, except for Adult Swim. I mean, they are the ones who are just constantly like, I'm, I flip it on. I'm like, what is this? You know, and they're always trying out new things. But, um, before we run out of time, I really want to talk about Gremblo real quick. So I loved Gremblo and I just want to know (laughs) where that came from and what your thought process was behind, I don't know, just kind of like doing it and then walking away from it. So the, that came out of. I was Ooh, making a show, like actually. Nobody, I think anybody knows this, so that you're getting you're getting a scoop, a hot scoop here. I was developing a show with Michael Cusack, another animator, a guy who works on a thing called Trash Tunes, a uh, really talented guy. And we had all three started making... Uh, we, had, we, said, like, we said something like, okay, we'll give ourselves like a week or two to make a show idea. A week or two to make a show idea, we'll just do it. And I think we he was one of the characters in there, and... I think that I'm pretty sure that came from my sensibilities of drawing characters that look, just look like that. So I would draw quickly, like sort of like the little Caesar's pizza looking guy, where it's just a big kind of note, like the character on the screen, basically. Like that sort of, I like the way that profile looks on characters. It's easy. You know, you just like, it's like you could do that one line. You could do that without removing the pencil from the page. So I kind of like the, the free motion of that style. And Michael Cusack, all of his characters are like pink and green and orange and, and yellow. They're always very bright and colorful. And uh, I think he made it pink. And then the third guy made trash tunes. He made a cartoon a while ago called Gremblo. That was his name that he thought of. Uh, but it didn't look anything like that thing. I think it did. But his cartoons had pink characters. So I think from that, we said, oh, we'll just use that. He was like, that's fine. And then, yeah. And then, but we, So we thought of the show idea first. And then we, we I think we just put out, tweeted the design, I think, one day. And people started retweeting it. And then Michael put out a version, I think. And the third guy didn't have that many followers, so I don't think he was... The Trashers guy didn't have any followers, so I don't think he was uh, tweeting too much about it. But it was just basically Michael and I tweeting about it. He obviously shared it with it, but... And then people started doing fan art for it. And we started retweeting the fan art. It's just sort of like a feedback loop. People just it just became more and more and more and more. And actually... But, but we were not trying to make it a viral character. But we had already, so it was weird. It was a weird backwards thing. And then we started to reveal more and more that that character had co-workers and he had a business and everything. And people thought it was either way around, but it was actually the inverse. We had thought of him first and then tweeted that. We saw people like they were like, oh, okay. Well, then let's reveal more about it. And I don't think anybody knew that, but then we pitched that to Adult Swim. Uh, and then they greenlit us for a script. And then that fell through for another reason. It was, it was, a, it was a, not a bad thing. And then Michael and I uh, pitched something else, and the trash tunes guy went off and started his own thing. Um, and then yeah, the Grimble thing we just left because it was it was a project we all three made. And we didn't want to like go, do something without the third guy, so we just totally scrapped it. But it was a really weird. It all happened like in a quick span. Again, it was like it was like June twenty seventeen. We thought of that character. We tweeted about he went really viral, and then. Like we 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 abandoned him. I actually have a bunch of. If I ever see you guys, I have a bunch of I have a bunch of uh, Grumblo pins that we did. 
we solved a bunch of them, and then that was basically what I said the character's done. Well, okay, the character's buried. But the point is, I went to these things laying around in my closet, uh, waiting to be given out to people, like 20 extra ones they had. So anytime I see anybody that likes that character, I'm just like, here, have a free one. I'm not, I don't want to sell it, but have it. So I have a big creepy fucking pile of these stupid pins in my closet sitting there. So that's 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 the rise and fall of Greblo. And that, that's a good example of something where the three of us were just like, let's drop this as a character because I know we can all three do better. And guess what? We all three did better. The third guy made his own thing. Michael and I not only did our own stuff, but we were collaborating more. And, uh, yeah, I think that's an example, again, of taking a really good idea that you're really proud of and just going, you know what? I can do better. Like, that was its own thing. The same thing with Hellbenders. Like, that was its own thing. It's okay that it was a it had its time and its place, but you know, uh, yeah. There's there's no shame in like leaving something and starting something new creatively. Yeah. So now you're doing awesome things uh, aside from that, but but the Grembo thing, I just needed to hear exactly from from the horse's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really weird. again. I think you you got the scoop. I don't think anybody knew the the sort of backwards way it actually came about. And it's also a perfect example of what you were illustrating earlier about collaboration. Because Gremblo was this like trinity apparently between the three of you. Yeah, yeah, it was me. It was Ollie Norwood from Trash Two. It was about a few seconds. Again, we made it in like a week. It was him and a couple other characters, and then yeah, posted him. Did really well, and that was it. Then we put it pretty quickly. We put it to bed. But yeah, I I, I would definitely recommend uh, collaborating people too. Collaborating, in my opinion, especially as an artist. Like when I collaborate with Michael, he has different sensibilities than I do. When I collaborated with uh, Chris O'Neill. For Hellbenders, I got a way different... You're always going to get a different flavor. It's like, uh, this is really a fucking uh, weird reference. I, I I deserve to be shamed for this. But did you guys ever play Kirby 64? Where you can suck in a different stuff and it's like gets different combinations? It's like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a horrible reference and I deserve to get uh, uh, bullied over that <laughs> relentlessly. But it's true, man. Like I think when you collaborate with this person, you're going to get something different. When you collaborate with somebody else, you get something different. And it's always a little bit of a different flavor. You can always tell you know, whose sensibilities are coming from where, but it's always a different, uh, I don't know. I, I like that about, about art and collaboration. It goes back to what you said about limitations as well, because when you work with somebody else like that, you're opened up to whatever skill set they've got, whatever vision and quirky interpretations, whatever it is, you get all of these things. So you open up in this tremendously unique way, but you also get their limitations too. And that can be really beneficial, like you said, working within the confines of whether it's abilities to, uh, you know, some technical thing, whatever it is, it's a whole new set of possibilities and a whole new set of limitations. And when you combine that with with your own pair of, of uh, you know, the same things, you just by default are going to get something unique and different, uh, probably more unique than than what either of those two people could do together. Or individually. Well, absolutely. Because absolutely. they're going to reject some of your ideas. And it's like, okay, well, now what? And if they weren't there to reject it, then you just would have done that. And maybe you wouldn't have thought of the next thing. Um, before we wrap up, you know, we love to showcase the creativity of our guests here on the Create Unknown by asking them something that, that has no answer. Just to, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, you just need to make it up on the spot. And what I would love to ask you psychic pebbles is to make up a character for us and give him or her a name and tell us about 
his or her occupation. Right. I got a new character, a crazy new character concept. His name is uh, Gilby, G-I-L-B-I. Uh, Gilby the piece of shit. <laughs> That's his official full name, legal name on his ID. Gilby the piece of shit. He, uh, you know, he works. He works like you and I. He's a regular working Joe Schmo. Every episode, we, you know, we never see what he does, but he always just says to the camera, he says, you got to believe me, I'm a working Joe Schmo. I'm a regular kind of guy. And then uh, in episode two, he dies. He he, he gets killed. <laughs> I think that's a good show idea. So there's just, just two episodes? Yeah, and he just looks at the camera and says, look, you got to believe me. I know I said all the time, and you're probably wondering, can I see where you work? Well, I can't show you that for legal reasons, but listen, you got to believe me. I'm a regular, regular blue-collar fellow, 9 to 5, like the rest of us. You just got to believe me on this one, man. In episode two, he gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So whoever is listening to this, please rip that audio and animate it so that we can uh, yeah, retweet yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will retweet that if somebody animates that. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been awesome. Thank you guys for having me so much. I had a great time. All right. You are about to exit the Create Unknown. This episode is brought to you by Rode Microphones. Their awesome mics deliver the sweet sounds of our vocal reverberations directly to your ear holes. If you want to use the equipment that we use, just go to Rode.com, that's R-O-D-E.com, and start sounding amazing. Special thanks to Psychic Pebbles. It was great talking to him, such a talented guy. Check out his info down in the show notes. And thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. It really helps us out. And please say hi on Twitter at Create Unknown. Subscribe to The Create Unknown for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Whatever that may be. I don't know why I sang that part. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown. Our website is thecreateunknown.com clever url huh easy to remember though if you want to watch this show with your eyeballs tune in on youtube we also post clips on our highlights channel links in the description the create unknown is produced by triangle content we've been your hosts kevin lieber and matt Tabor. check us out on youtube at vsauce2 executive producer is dave kiney this episode was edited by adam ganong our theme song is by the incredible mega drive Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya, space cowboys. Space cowboys.